Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles recording out of the Awesome Inc. studio. And we had a really interesting interview today. We talked with Stevens Bonham, who is the founder and CEO of a software called Feed Coyote. So first off, Feed Coyote is a software that is helping freelancers collaborate with each other and manage projects, manage them more efficiently. Uh, but what's really interesting about Steven's story is that he actually moved to Paducah, Kentucky from Seattle, Washington. So uh, that's obviously not something that we hear a ton in this region. That was done through, uh, do you remember the name of the program that he did that with? You'll be hearing it here in the episode here in just a second. But yeah, through Sprockets, like first 50, I believe. Um, but he got a grant to come to Kentucky to start his company. And the state of Kentucky in return is helping him get connected, connecting him to investors. And he has a lot of great things to say about this ecosystem and moving to Kentucky and moving to Paducah. Uh, so not only does he have a cool story about how he got to Kentucky, he also has a really great story uh, about where he came from uh, and his professional background. So he's an economist by trade. Uh, he has a PhD in economics. Um, so he has used what he's learned in those fields and applied that to entrepreneurship. Uh, and it was it was a really cool conversation. What did you think of it, Evan? Yeah, no, it was exciting. Uh, you know, I play in kind of that freelance independent contractor space as well with Simba. And, you know, it's a prime opportunity for a lot of software companies to begin building. And he's doing exactly that. And again, liked his story. You know, I think the way he described the fact that there's so much to learn when you start a business and just the process of what it takes to learn, especially the language it takes to speak with investors and communicate, you know, your your problem that you're solving and, and how you're building the product and traction to investors is something that a lot of founders don't get over the hump of. You know, they might be great at building a product. They might be great at, you know, various other things. But when it comes to raising capital, there is unfortunately a way you have to act and speak in order to communicate your uh, your company effectively to the market. And that was a learning curve that we haven't had a whole lot of founders talk about on this podcast. So um, that was a cool perspective. Yeah. So we're super excited to have him in Kentucky. Uh, if you're somebody that listens from Western Kentucky, from somewhere near Paducah, or really just in, in Kentucky in general, uh, reach out to Stevens. Uh, we want to make sure he feels welcome in this ecosystem, and we want to make sure that he can get connected to uh, investors and potential users and uh, just the ecosystem in general. So uh, before we dive into this one, two quick things. First off, uh, we are running a survey to try and collect some uh, some feedback from our audience about what you guys like hearing from us, how we can improve uh, things we're, we're doing well that you want to see more of, all of that sort of, uh, of, of feedback and data. So the link to that is in the description. If you wouldn't mind taking five minutes to fill that out, I believe the first 100 respondents are getting a $5 Starbucks gift card from us. So would be a big help if we can get some of that feedback from you. And then, of course, before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. Middle Tech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Partner. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to work alongside an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information at kyinnovation.com. We are also supported by Endeavor Midwest. Operating in 40 countries around the world, Endeavor selects, supports, and invests in the world's top founders driving job creation, wealth creation, and inspiration. In 2021 alone, Endeavor entrepreneur-led companies provided more than 3.4 million high-quality jobs and generated over 42 billion in revenue globally. Endeavor's Midwest office supports companies like App Harvest, Rabbit Hole, El Toro, Interapt, and many more. You can learn more about Endeavor Midwest, Endeavor, 
and their venture fund Endeavor Catalyst at Endeavor.org. All right, guys, let's get into it. We are here with Stevens Bonham, who is the founder and CEO of a company that's new to Kentucky, Feed Coyote. Um, so Stevens has a really cool story about ending up in this ecosystem. Uh, so we just got introduced to him here recently through KY Innovation, who is uh, one of our presenting sponsors of this podcast. So major shout out to them for introducing us to Stevens. Um, but we're going to dive into uh, how you came to this ecosystem and more about Feed Coyote. So Stevens, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Hey guys, thank you very much for having me today. It's uh, my pleasure to spend this time with you and uh, talk a little bit about my journey, uh, the company that I started and how we ended up in uh, Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, definitely an interesting story and uh, one that I think this ecosystem will have some good learnings from uh, and we'll definitely be interested in hearing. So before we get into any of that though, let's just start with your background. So when we talked uh, when we talked initially on the phone, you talked about some time at Microsoft um, and a, you know with some time at a different startup as well. So let's just start with uh, with where you're from, um, your time, your professional career leading up to Feed Cody, and then we'll dig into that company a little bit. Yeah, of course. I am an economist by training. I uh, studied uh, economics in college. But prior to that, I moved to the U.S. about almost a decade ago now. I'm originally from the Caribbean, um, Haiti specifically. Uh, I moved here, spent a lot of time on uh, in different states, from Florida to Alabama to Michigan, North Dakota, Washington, and now Kentucky. Um, all that pretty much for school or for work. Um, went to college. I studied um, economics. And uh, after that, I went to grad school, started a PhD in economics, uh, completed a master's in applied economics, and completed a doctorate of business administration. And uh, after that, I transitioned to Microsoft, where I worked in really various roles in the organization, from sales and marketing to uh, business analyst to uh, program management and all that. So it's been quite a great journey. And I've learned a lot along the way, uh, whether it's a with business decisions or how to really implement um, all strategies when it comes to business and how to really work with other people, start a company, and also deliver a great product to your customers. Yeah, I feel like uh, an economist, that's an interesting background for an entrepreneur, but one that I feel like would teach you a whole lot about market dynamics and you know all sorts of useful information about uh, starting a company. So you know, relate some of what you learned getting your your PhD and or your MBA, I'm sorry, in uh, economics uh, to what it's been like being an entrepreneur. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, actually, I started off as a PhD in economics, pretty much. Gotcha, I okay. studied, yeah. um, I wanted to become a, a researcher, pretty much. I wanted, ideally, I wanted to work for the Federal Reserve. I wanted to become a senior economist there and do economic modeling and all that. So um, midway through that, I realized maybe I wanted something that, 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 that is more hands-on and I wanted to become more of a business executive. And then I completed a master's in applied economics. I've learned a lot about understanding markets and understanding supply and demand and all that. And then got to transition that to a business field where I was primarily executing strategies and making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis to impact business um, tractions and all that. So I think from the thing that I studied in economics, in economics, usually when you are an economist, it tends to say that you want to become a researcher or professor, primarily working for a bank and all that. But I've always wanted to work more directly with people and understand their behaviors and what are some of the things that really drive their 
behaviors. So that's why I took my training in economics and applied that to a business field instead and eventually started a company where I'm now working with people on a daily basis on business strategies. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, economics is a study of human behavior and how that feeds up into the economy and, and markets. And as a founder, you know, you're connecting people's pain points and their behavior to how you create a solution and, and monetize that solution. So it makes a ton of sense. And I love economics and studying that and a big fan of markets. And I think that's why I love the real estate market because it's, it's just such an interesting one. But how did you get into the the startup space? What was your first experience in the startup space that was really kind of tangible and got you, uh, gave you the bug? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, one of my friends actually who worked at Microsoft as well, he's a software engineer. Um, at that time, um, he's also from Haiti. We are from the same country in the Caribbean. And he reached out to me and uh, he wanted to work on something that could really help people back home. Like he wanted to start a nonprofit. He wanted to do something that he can give back. And that's when I realized maybe we should probably do something that's profitable and use that money to help people back home instead of, you know, raising money from a nonprofit perspective, which could take longer. So that's when we started like brainstorming about ideas and what we could put together. And I, we started a first startup back then, uh, which was called Belbizer. What we did was we built an app that allows people to, it was pretty much a short-term rental of consumer goods. So we allow people to rent things that they already have in their garage and stuff like that, put it on our app and rent it out to their neighbors for like a small fee in exchange to their neighbors using it just for like a short period of time. So we started the startup, which was quite interesting. That was my very first date in the startup perspective. But as my job at Microsoft prior to that, I work with small business owners and I learn a lot from them. But that was really the very first taste to startup. And we built that app and uh, it was quite an interesting journey because I learned so much in short amount of time by designing products to working with developers to having like go to market strategies and all that. So then from that, I took I took that learning uh, that we had from that first startup. And then I started this new company, Fit Coyote, that we'll be discussing a bit uh, more later about. That's awesome. Yeah. And the first experience getting into a startup and starting a business is always a lot of times the most painful, but also the time when you learn the most from, uh, from that experience. So talk, you know, you said, you said you learned all sorts of different stuff. Was there one thing in particular that you feel like was the learning that sticks out the most to you or, or one that you would want to pass along to the people that listen to this podcast? Yeah, definitely. It's the resilience part of it. And you know, it takes a lot of grit because, I feel like I was burned out so quickly and uh, some some nights I just wanted to give up because I was working with people from different time zones. Like we were um, working with people in like in India and, and Europe and things like that uh, in terms of like our development team. And uh, it was tough really because uh, those people were like, 12 to 16 hours ahead. So I had to stay up like 3, 4 a.m. waiting for them to get up and start working and then to give directions. And then when I go to bed and it was already like 5, 6, 7 a.m. and I had to get up again to work for Microsoft and all that. So it takes a lot of courage really to do it because you need to have the passion. Otherwise, you're just going to give up really <laughs> right away. And then from working from that, and since that was my very first experience, I had to manage a team of like 10 people. Like and that was that very first hands-on experience that I had from a managerial uh, uh, perspective. So 
it, it was tough. It was very tough, but I learned from, you know, designing a product like from scratch, like the, the, the user experience from learning, you know, from point A to point B, how that experience should be, and then translating that into a UI experience and then coding it and all that. So it was a lot of learning and I did not really have a lot of time to really take the time to learn, if that makes sense, because you had to learn on the, on the go and then execute and make mistake and learn from that very quickly and then keep going at it. So I had, uh, I, I learned a lot from, you know, from that experience and that allowed me also to become very detail oriented and very good at product like development and roadmap as well, because I had to learn that on my own. I had to, to do the research and really put the product together in a very short term uh, uh, capacity and then go from there. So. I mean, if anybody want to get into the startup world, you need to get into it because you're passionate about something that you're building, but also you need to have the resilience because you'll get burnt out pretty quickly. Yeah. And it always takes longer than you think. You know, I think everything that you said there is just like spot on, but you know, the resiliency comes in because, you know, it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen, you know, as soon as you think it will. <laughs> yeah. So you just kind of got to stay in there because there's so many, you know, ups and downs, those ups and downs, you know, are months. You know, it's not like one day it's uh, up and the next day, you know, it's totally changed now that does happen. But as far as, you know, the projected projection of the company, like it takes months and years to actually like start to see big differences. Yeah. So, you know, exactly. it takes longer than you yeah. think. Yeah. And, and but, also, um, do, yeah, I mean, that helps also with investor relations. That's something that I did not have prior to start starting a business. And in my mind, I got into it, okay, we're building a great product. It's, you know, we have a great team and, you know, everything is going pretty well. So everybody should invest in the company. But man, I was in it for a hard reality check. I got like over 300 no's and I was like, what the heck am I doing wrong? Because, you know, in your mind as a founder, you're like, and I'm so passionate about this product, I'm solving a problem. Why isn't like nobody's helping me or nobody's investing in this? Then you realize, there, you know, it's so much more and, you know, every investor has different criteria and all that. And then you realize, whoa, okay, now you need to learn to speak their language as well. Not only understand your customer's problem that you're solving, but also understand how to pitch that idea to other people to rally them behind you so they can invest in it. So it's, uh, it's quite a learning experience. Yeah, we should definitely dive more into the fundraising experience here in a oh, bit. Oh, yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, let's talk about Fee County. So jump into how that started and um, catch us up to to speed with the product and, and kind of where you're at today. Yeah, Feed Coyote is my second startup uh, that I started about a year ago now, uh, last October, actually. And uh, we started by doing market analysis because this time around, I wanted really to succeed with the second product. The first product was, okay, I'm getting out there. I'm trying to start something, but I learned so much from it, you know, and then with this second startup, I started differently. This time around, we started with market discovery. We studied all our potential competitors, the one that we were aware of, and we see what they were doing. Uh, how they were doing it, and we identified the areas where they were not really executing properly. And then from there, we understand what are the set of features that we should provide that will bring more values to our customers than what our competitors are not already um, working on at the moment. And then from there, we um, uh, we designed the, the user experience, the user flow and all that, and then we started development about like two months after. Uh, I think that first step, which was the customer and market discovery was very important because that allowed us to really understand the market. And this is such a huge market right now, the freelance market. And 
after the pandemic started in the US alone, there were like 59 million added new freelancers. And it's a it's a it's an industry that's growing at like 10.6% rate, you know, year over year. And the expected re, um, generated re revenue by 2028 will be $97 billion from 48 billion right now. So it's almost going to double like in six years. So building a collaboration platform to us really made sense, made sense at that time, because we realized not only we're solving a problem, but also that's going to be very profitable if we execute properly. So we took that time to study the market and understand that. And after we did that, we put our competitor analysis together. And then we then designed a set of features that will be really beneficial for FitCoyote. And after that, we started development in January 2022. And during that time, I was working like nonstop with my team because they're like, all over the world and uh, 12, 16 hours ahead. So was up, you know, four or 5 a.m. working on that and then <laughs> sleep for like a few hours and get up to work for Microsoft and all that. And then really that paid off because like about four months, we were able to release, I don't call it an MVP, I call it the first version because I feel like we'd build way more than an MVP during that time. So we built a product, but during that time, not only I was working with the, the development team, but I, I was also doing um, investor outreach and working with marketing and all that. And we launched our product somewhere um, in May. We launched the very first version of it, um, really getting it out there in some uh, beta testers' hands so we can have a first feel of that. And we do the full launch after that somewhere in June. And then since then, we've been growing our user base. And during that time, I, I participated in a few competition and I had a chance to make it to the finals for uh, the first 50K competition here in Paducah um, and also in Missouri with Codify. And uh, I, I made it to the finals and eventually won, uh, won one of the spots in the competition. And as a result of that, uh, I was required to move the headquarters of the company to Paducah this year. Uh, so that's how I moved from Seattle to Paducah to really see how we can tap into the resources of the region and also work with local investors and entrepreneurs to really develop the company and eventually really to establish ourselves here and you know help with the local economy by hiring staff uh, in the region. Yeah, and we're excited to dive into that because that's just an inter such an interesting dynamic and a story that we don't hear a lot of somebody moving their company from a place like Seattle to a place like Paducah. So we're really excited to, to hear more about that. Before we move on uh, from Feed Coyote, because I want to make sure we uh, we dive into that and, and help the audience understand what you guys are doing and the problem you're solving, let's start by talking about what what is the problem you identified that yeah. you set out to solve with Feed Coyote and then lead that into you know what the product actually does. Yeah. The problem really that we are solving right now is the economic isolation of independent workers. Primarily, we're taking freelancers as our uh, really model customer. Because freelancers, they want to work independently and they are out there grinding, using multiple platforms, either for lead generation or for uh, to look for collaborators or using other platform as CRM to manage those gigs or to manage the collaboration and the communication with those collaborators that they have. So because of that, there is a lack of connectivity among um freelancers because they spend on average four to six hours sourcing gigs and collaboration all across the internet. So what we did or what we understood was if we could build a centralized um, collaboration network for them, then they wouldn't need to be all over the place and spending so much time trying to source other collaborators or gigs. And then they, that can improve 
their productivity. So FitKID really in itself is, is a freelance collaboration network, but we go even further than that. We added a project management component to it. So we added an in-platform project management tool that allows freelancers to not only find other freelancers to work with right there on the platform, but also allow them to manage that collaboration and their gigs also because we have an integrated CRM in the platform. So you can think of it as a com combination of a lead generation for collaboration, as well as a CRM to manage that end-to-end -end, um, deal flow of the collaboration between freelancers. Interesting. Yeah, no, the, the freelance space is is great place to start building right now because like you said, it's expanding very quickly, but traditionally software companies haven't addressed small businesses and freelancers very well because of the small contract sizes and the fragmentation. But what's mm -hmm. happening today is these these freelancers are in such high demand and, and needing so many tools that you're starting to see so many people build vertical vertical SaaS for various freelancers. Um, are you focused on a particular type of freelancer yet, whether it's a creative uh, niche or um, are you kind of going broad or have you found a niche that you've identified kind of as your ideal customer out of the gate? Um, right now, we have a few categories that we have in, in, in the platform um, that we're focusing on. But ideally, we want to service freelancers providing digital short-term professional services. Right now, we're looking at freelancers in the tech industry, freelancers in business. Um, but also, eventually, we want to service also freelancers providing in-person services, such as sports and fitness or event management and all that. So we want Fit Coyote to be that one-stop shop for them to find collaboration with other freelancers but as well as managing that collaboration there because with our management um, uh, with our management tools uh, freelancers can go from you know not only onboarding their collaborators but also go through their contract management calendar management and payment processing all through feed coyote without having to use another platform for that very cool so just to, to kind of make this into a tangible example let's say I'm a, a software engineer freelancer um, if I get the, the way I'm envisioning using feed Cody is if I get a project where this is too big of a project for me to do on my own, I need to find some other freelancers that I can collaborate to, to get this project done. Your software is where one, I could find those other freelancers. Then two, I could manage the whole project with this team of freelancers. Is that, is that a good Correct. way to, to think of it? Yes, okay. this is definitely a good way to put it together because we are helping freelancers speed up project completion. Uh, and then being able to take on more projects at the same time, which is going to increase or improve their earnings potential. So I think that example is totally perfect. Yes. It's awesome. Walk oh, cool. us through now the competition you did that brought you here. So how'd you learn about it? Uh, and then what was that <laughs> process like? Yeah, I mean, that competition was really me being on the internet looking for funding, uh, was applying to all these um, accelerators like Y Combinators, um, uh, uh, tech stars and uh, you know marker lab and all that and I came across uh, codify with this first 50k competition through uh, one of the platforms that I was looking for competitions on and I was like okay at that at that time I applied not knowing that I was going to move to Kentucky I was like well uh, the the reward is kind of small for a company and then having to move to, you know, uh, you know the Midwest and all that. Well, I was like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to apply anyways and give it a try. You never know. And then, but I applied to it really, to be frankly, not knowing that 
I was going to make the move because compared to the amount that we were raising and what we received and then the move to the region, I did not think that, you know, we were going to move there. And then I had a chance to make it to the finals and I came here. I had a pretty good feel about the program. So we ended up accepting the uh the prize and, and move here, not because of the funding in itself, but because of the network and the opportunity to collaborate with other people here that's going to lead to the next step for the company. So that's how I think about it. Because because the 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 what Spracket is doing right now is creating that 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 hub where you can collaborate with other investors, other entrepreneurs, local entrepreneurs, local investors, which really going to unlock the potential for more investment for the company in the future. So that's how I look at it. And, and I decided to move here because I, and also I came across a lot of um, venture firms that required uh, me to be in the Midwest to invest in the company. So I realized that the Midwest w was somewhere like there was a lot of investment going on and I wanted the company to be here to give us a good shot. Because when you think about Silicon Valley or Seattle and all these big, you know, tech hubs, they are pretty much saturated with all the big companies there like Amazon, Google, Facebook, all that. So when you look at the, the Midwest, you know, it's kind of like still new, you know, like having tech companies around here. So there's a really great opportunity to really grow your company here. So that's, that's, that's the reason really that I accepted to, to move here and, and, and put the company in a better position really to receive follow-on investment and, and more users as well. I think that's a really important call out that you moved here to to get plugged into the community and, and you moved here because you saw that opportunity rather than I just moved here because I wanted I needed money, whatever, you know, I won this prize and that it was required for that. Because I could I could definitely see that being a major factor moving from a big market where like you're saying, you know, it's it's really hard to stand out in a market like Seattle or in a market like Silicon Valley or, you know, name any of the other kind of major tech markets. So being able to come to a place that people are a lot higher touch here. Like they want to be, they want to be involved in your success. They want to help you get connected. So I think that's a, that's a really uh, self-aware and smart, smart thing to do. Um, honestly, yeah, definitely at, at the reason for moving here. So talk a little bit about your experience now that, now that you moved to Kentucky, um, what's it been like being here? How's it been getting connected? And then we'll start talking about fundraising as well. Cause that's one of our favorite topics oh, to talk about in this region. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been amazing, I would say, because I've been here for like almost a month now. I talk to more users, more potential investors than I talked to in Seattle and like in one month here than I did when I was in Seattle. So and everybody was very welcoming. And, uh, you know, the we got a press release. We we got like uh, interviews with journalists and all that. I was like, whoa, it seems like a pretty big deal, you know? So the the welcome that we received when we came here was really awesome. And also the connections that I was already able to make in just like three weeks to four weeks was all, already awesome. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here. And I think that's going to be a great time for the company because if only in one month I was able to have, you know, great connections like that, I can only imagine like in six months or a year from now, you know, what's going to come from those connections and all that. I what, think that's what great feedback. What do you think it was, yeah. think it was uh, when you got here that allowed you to speak to so many more customers and investors than on Seattle and in, in Seattle? Because we, we hear that a lot. Um, when we talk to founders, we ask them, Hey, what's, what's great about this region? And they always say people's approachability and access to people. But from your experience, what, what has that been for you? What, what is it that makes maybe people more approachable or easier to get in contact with? 
Yeah, I think, first of all, we are really solving a, a great problem for a great number of people. So the product is very appealing to people. And second, as you mentioned, is the way people are here. It's just they're welcoming, really, because you know, quick quick example, like I emailed some investors and they re- replied back to me the same day and sent me their calendars to schedule a call and we get on a call the next day. In Seattle, like I would spend like weeks not even hearing from anybody or sometimes I would just be like, okay, that's a, that's a dead lead or something. But I was able to really talk to everybody that I got connected to here already in just three weeks, which was awesome. So I think it's, I think it's just the way people are really. It's just, I don't know what really to say about that. It's just, People are just welcoming around here and they are more um, inclined to accepting uh, the, the company or, you know, the product that we're bringing to the region. And because also they see that, you know, that could be very useful also for the region if we succeed and everybody wants it to succeed. Yeah, that's a big theme with this region is that we just we want to support the startups that are in this region so much more just because we want to see a thriving startup ecosystem here. So it's just it's a lot easier to get connected. It's a lot easier to approach people. People are a lot more willing to give advice, to connect you to other people. I think that's a, a great uh, reaffirmation for this for this area to hear that from somebody that's come from Seattle. Uh, as somebody that's come from an outside ecosystem and you're, you're getting to experience this with fresh eyes, is there any constructive criticism or feedback that you'd offer, offer this region? Things that could be done better uh, for a newcomer, whether it's... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it would be. Maybe you don't have anything that you've identified off the bat yet, but if there's something off the top of your head, I think that would be useful to to get out to our audience as well. I mean, I think the region in itself is pretty welcoming to startups. I know I know about Paducah, I know about Missouri, but I've heard a lot of great things about Lexington as well, as well as Louisville and all that. So I think I, think I will need a little bit more time to see if there sure. are certain areas of improvement, but I think so far my experience, my experience has been pretty great. Well, let's move into talking about your experience with just fundraising in general. So you talked earlier <laughs> on just about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that any entrepreneur that goes through it, it's like kind of, it's like sharing war stories. It's just like such a, such a grueling experience to go through trying to raise capital for your companies. And in some cases that uh, just makes for some good stories. So uh, let's just start off by, by kind of diving into uh, your fundraising experience specifically with, with Feed Coyote. So you said you went through 300 no's uh, when you're up in Seattle. More than that, for sure. Because some of them, I even forget that I applied for them because they never <laughs> replied back. Or uh, so I, I got some no's and I'm like, when did I apply for you? I mean, it must have been so long ago that I don't even remember. And I don't know, three months, four months, you sent me a no email. I'm like, really? <laughs> so <laughs> it's been quite an experience. Seriously, some, I mean, it's been very tough, like uh, mentally, uh, I, I need to say that, frankly, some days I just wanted to give up because I'm like, man, nobody believes in what I'm trying to do and nobody want to help or anything. But in the meantime, you're looking around, you're seeing like other startups or other companies raising millions of dollars with not even a website. And here you are, you have a product with paying customers and you're not getting any help. You know, that's been so discouraging, but I truly believe in what I'm building. And I also read a lot of stories about successful founders that made it like, uh, the the founder of Calendly or the founder of Canva, like they had like 300 no's and now they're like a multi-billion dollar company. You know what I mean? So I'm like, they really believed in what they were building and they just kept going. Although people didn't believe in them. And now I, I seriously, when I see the face of the investors that told them no, like five, 10 years ago, now when they are like a multi-billion dollar company, you know, they, they really missed out on it. But I think it's because of um, investors have like a, 
thesis they are just trying to go by and sometimes they're not really flexible to understand founders and where they're coming from to really help them and work on whatever they're working on to help them really get to the next step they just are like so rigid on on, on their pre-established um, thesis which could probably sometimes be not such a great thing because then they miss out on really some great deals that um that really they they could have uh, profited from but my personal experience with fit coyote started fundraising really early january when we started coding the platform and it's been no's like our only yes is the competition that i won that made me move here from seattle to kentucky but all vcs or other angels have said no for one reason or another but the most comments one i've heard is you're too early or this is not my field but lately it's been of like you need a lead investor <laughs> that's been the the most common one lately but i'm like okay if nobody wants to lead so how am i gonna get a lead investor exactly everybody's like okay i'll i'll add some money if somebody else you know takes the lead but i'm like but who's gonna take the lead if nobody's taking the lead you know so uh yeah 300 plus nails uh but i've been going at it i've been bootstrapping it uh really just uh from my personal savings i, I pretty much blasted everything on the company because I believe I believed in it and I think uh with persistence we're gonna get up there you know eventually I just hope we can get some help along the way to make it there faster but whether or not I'm still gonna get up there yeah no fundraising's rough I I bootstrap uh, my company as well until we got some customers and and then raised a round and that round took me a lot longer than I expected and um you know I I got well over a hundred no's as well. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's part of it. You know, you've got a, it's a sales process and you've got to fill the funnel and, uh, you know, go through that, that whole experience. But the question I had yeah. was, you know, how, how are you sourcing? This is one thing that I think founders struggle with that it's their first time or are new to raising capital. How are you sourcing, you know, your, your leads for, for investors? Um, is it warm intros? Is it competitions and applying on like forums on their website or walk us through, you know, what that experience has been for you finding potential investors? Yeah. I mean, I think I tried a little bit of everything. Um, I start, I started with, um, accelerators. I applied for Y Combinator, Techstars and all that, like the major names. Um, I did not get into any of them. And frankly, their recruiting experience was terrible. Like, like terrible like i think that would be another part of the conversation if you guys want me to get into that but uh yeah so um i did not get into any of that and then i left so many messages on the contact us form on all these vc platforms nobody replied back to me um but then eventually sometimes i, I think those are just sometimes i think those are just like dummy dummy forms on the website yeah I feel I feel like it's the same thing. And something also that I experienced too, I had some people that reach out to me. That's why now I don't I ask certain questions before I fill out those forms or I apply for something because I've had people that reach out to me on LinkedIn telling me, Hey, I see that you're a really great fit for this competition or this accelerator. How about you apply? And then I apply and then I get another email saying, Hey, you're not the right fit and this is a rejection. I'm like, first of all, you reach out to me. I did not know who you were. And second, and now you're telling me I'm not a great fit. So you didn't know I was I was not a great fit when you reached out to me, first of all. So then I realized it's just like a, a quota thing. You know what I mean? They just, and then, you know, those people are saying, hey, we got too many. And, and after they reach out to me, telling me I'm a great fit and then send me a rejection email. And part of that email say saying, um, oh, we had too many applications this year. I'm like, 
okay, you reach out to me and you ask me to apply, and now you're telling me you're rejecting me because you had too many applications? I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I, and then that made me realize it's just a, it's a quota thing for them. They want to say, well, we got like a thousand applications this year, but we accepted only two people. So I'm like, so you're making a lot of people apply when you know technically, technically you're not going to accept them. You know, so that's that's a whole part of the those accelerators and fundraising part. It's like it, sometimes you feel like these people are not really genuinely helping founders or helping the companies because they just trying to like have their quota in terms of applications, you know? I've noticed that a lot lately too. So, you know, we're on PitchBook or we might be on Crunchbase and people will scrape those databases and reach out to the founders. And I've noticed that um, a lot of time it's the analysts that have been with the company for less than six months that are trying to get their reps in and have those conversations. And really you're just uh, like a, a test bed for them. And so I've stopped taking taking calls with anybody that's an analyst and I go straight to the partners and say, Hey, like, I just want to talk to the partner. Um, yeah. Or, or like a, or a founder of the fund, you know, I, I, and typically when there's an analyst, you know, it's later stage fund as well. And they're just trying to fill up their funnel. So you, mm. you kind of got to get to a point and you learn when and where um, to start saying no to people reaching out yeah, to I've you been just learning because, that. yeah, just because you know you're just part of of their process as well, and they're not going to be interested, and you got to you know save your time. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, I've dealt that. with that frustration <laughs> too. But um, so what what round are you raising? Is this a pre seed round? Are you calling this a seed round? Give us give the audience maybe some details on on what you're trying to accomplish with your fundraise. Maybe some listeners will be able to help. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to disclose the the no, you, size or? Yeah, you oh, you can okay. just go into like what where you're at with like what stage you're at. Um, yeah, I mean, what you want to use the money for, stuff like that. Yeah, we are currently in the seed round right now because uh, we have users, we have early revenue that the company is generating since we launched, uh, and usually the seed round is you know you see some type of product market fit and you want to like expand on that. So we are raising our seed round right now, really, so we can boost our user acquisition and uh, expand more. Uh, and right now we are currently live in the U.S., but eventually want to go global because our platform really can service freelancers globally. So we are trying to raise our fund right now so we can focus on product development because we have a lot of things that we want to build. We are currently building our mobile apps right now. We have the web app, which is a PWA progressive web app that's available where you can just download the browser on your phone. But we want to have the mobile apps so we can make the networking experience um, easier for our for our users. So we're currently building that right now. We're improving our features and all that. So really, this round will help us with sales and marketing because in terms of the tech and the vision, we have that figured out already. But we need help with uh, mostly uh, on the business side, like sales and marketing and product development will be the top two areas where we'll be uh, really focused on as we move forward. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, as we uh, as we kind of get towards the end of our interview here, we always like talking uh, kind of a, a forward looking statement. Uh, what is the vision that you're you're wanting to accomplish? So uh, before we let you go here, tell us a little bit about, you know, what is your ultimate vision with Feed Coyote? What kind of what kind of company do you want to build and what kind of uh, change do you want to see in the world because of it? Yeah, I mean, I totally want Feed Coyote to be a legacy company, really, uh, for generations to come. And I want to be able to say that I built something that impacted people's lives, whether with, you know, providing jobs or helping with, you know, whatever goals they had in life. But because they were able to whether work for Feed Coyote or use Feed Coyote, 
that helped them in some some ways. So um, really, we are building a, a great company. We are establishing a great culture in the company so that it could be a cool and fun place for people to work. And then we are building a great product as well to help um, independent workers work more efficiently, uh, collaborate better, and make more money faster. So eventually, I would like to see this company be on the global global level, really, because uh, we have something going on here. And uh, I think in the next few months or few years, you will hear a lot about Fitcoyote and where we stand in, in terms of uh, being a market leader in the networking collaboration space. That's awesome, man. We're excited that you're you're here in Kentucky to build this company. And we're really excited to hear that Kentucky's been supportive of, of you being here and helped you get connected so far. Um, before we let you go, give the uh, give the listeners somewhere they can learn more about Feed Coyote or connect with you if they'd like. Uh, so website URL, social media handles, anything like that that you'd like to point the audience to. Yeah, I mean, right now, um, uh, potential users can check our website. Uh, it's feedcoyote.com. Feed is F-E-E-D. C-O-Y-O-T-E, feedcoyote.com. And on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, if you search Feed Coyote, you'll find also our pages. You can follow us there or sign up for free right now and check out our our features, if that could help you. If you're a freelancer, solopreneur, or small business owners, you have a lot of projects going on, you want help. Or if you just want to use our platform just to really be organized in your business with contact management, contract management, and payment processing, you can use our platform for that as well. It's free to sign up. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on here. Uh, it's been great talking to you, and we're excited to follow along as you build your company here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. 